Welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Bill W. I'm an Episcopal priest, and I live here in hotter than hell, Austin, Texas. We're in the middle of the summer of uh, 2023. So we're actually just starting the summer of 2023, but it is warm. Purpose of these podcasts is to go deeper into the spirituality, the history, and the psychology of uh, the recovery program, particularly the 12-step program. Encourage you to go visit our website. It's titled Two Way Prayer. It teaches you a form of prayer and meditation that was done in the uh, pioneer days of AA and somehow got lost along the way. I've got a, I hope, a pretty good video there that'll teach you the uh, practice and a set of handouts that you can download and get going with it. Uh, I think you may find it really very life changing. Uh, it certainly was that uh, for me. Thanks you to our donors who keep the lights on here and uh, that those gifts are really appreciated and they do make a difference. So if you're able to help uh, in that end, go to the website and make a donation. I don't take any money for this thing, but you uh, have a fair amount of expenses. And then the last thing is we have put this now onto YouTube. You can go to that channel and it is titled Two Way Prayer TWO. I think we've put, now put up all of the podcasts. So if, if that's a better platform uh, for listening or watching, uh, although it's not very exciting to watch. Uh, well, James, we may have you do a little uh, a little dance here or something. <laughs> Need a little light show in the background oh, or something. Light show, yes. Uh, Got to <laughs> make this thing a little more exciting. My guest this uh, for this series is Dr. James Ryan. He's written a... A very good book entitled uh, Recovery Writing. I encourage you to get a hold of a copy of that. His, his premise is that writing has a profound impact, can have a profound impact in a number of ways to benefit us in our recoveries. So he did his doctoral uh, thesis around this subject. James was... Um, in the addiction treatment field for a while after he got sober he's in long-term sobriety himself but his passion was really uh teaching he, he went back to school got his doctorate and is now uh, at the university of alaska uh teaching uh writing uh creative writing is it in part uh, this uh is some but mostly composition all kinds of writing all kinds yeah, of writing yep uh, okay. professional writing essay writing creative writing Kind of the kind of the run in his research he came up with four outcomes that that he he, he kind of listed and and we've used that uh, to go through this series the first was on honesty writing uh -huh. generates promotes honesty the second was that it can significantly impact our relationship with a higher power and we may touch on that again today because the third one is uh, relationships themselves, that this is where a significant change can happen. And um, so you say, James, um, when we change, our relationships change, and that writing is always about relationships. Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to underestimate the importance of relationships to, I guess, to both addiction and to recovery. One way to think about addiction is that it's kind of a screwed up way of doing relationships. <laughs> and one way to think about recovery is that it's a different way of doing relationships. Um, if we think about relationships in the like in a broad sense, we're talking about 
our relationships with other people, but also our relationships with substances and behaviors, with higher power, um, with ourselves, uh, with, the, with the world around us. We addicts are not known for doing relationships really well, are we? Right. If you ask <laughs> any, yeah, if, you reflect, if you're an addict and you reflect on your experience, like how before I got into recovery or before, you know, if right. you're not doing recovery now, like how are your relationships going? Odds are not too good. Right? Yeah. And because I, the one way to think about addiction is it is the sort of way of doing relationship that's really, well, it's focused on the addiction, right? It's focused on getting the thing that you need to feel better for now and everything else kind of gets burned. Which takes on almost the quality of a personality. Mm -hmm. the, the addiction becomes my friend, mm -hmm. my go-to, right. the, the only one who hasn't let me down. Right. Yeah. Until it, does. Until it does. <laughs> right. So there's a relationship that gets developed with the process itself of being addicted. Right. The process and and the chemical yeah. or the behavior, as as you point out in your book, uh, it, it can go either way. Yeah. Uh, so so people, but people are probably not very aware of that, right? I wasn't very aware of that, not consciously. No. Right. Yeah. Um, um, I think we do kind of like I became aware of it in, to the extent that there was a kind of a pressure that I felt from other people or a, um, a judgment or a, a need to lie. Right. We talked about that in the honesty part. There's, um, mm. I realized that my relationships are shifting when I realize that I can't tell you the whole truth about what I'm doing. Because if you do, that would interfere with the thing that's most important right now, which is taking care of this addiction, right? That relationship comes first. Right. So, so you, I might not be aware that like all, all the depth of how this is working, yeah. but it, it starts, you can start to feel it even if you don't know what it is, right? Yeah, I feel the tension with people mm -hmm. and maybe at least in the beginning, the safety and the security with the chemical or the, or the, or the behavior. Right. Yeah. 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 So that, that would be the which, core of it. Yeah. Which yeah. world am I going to go to? Right. Yeah. Right. So to recover, we need this sort of uh, flipping inside out of that kind of relationship where instead of relating to the world by I'm going to hide in this hole with my drug, <laughs> right. I'm now going to sort of open up and be connected to more things and be affected by more things. Um, it's not going to be necessarily pleasant all the time to be affected by more. It's vulnerable. Yeah. It can be painful, um, but yeah, I'm going to open we myself under, up We that. understand why we drank or drugged. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because yeah, it does yeah. get painful, and, and you want to run from it, during, right. particularly in early sobriety. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's because that's the first time that you're going to deal with your relationship to the world and the mess that addiction has made of it without the relief of being able to go get high or being able to go use or whatever, whatever it is you're doing. Will I right. endure it? Right. Yeah. That's the question. That's the that's the that's the test of really sobriety, and it's not not yeah. fun. <laughs> not yeah, one that my, I want to revisit. That was mine. My, don't drink and don't run. Run. Mm -hmm. I knew that. If if mm -hmm. I'm gonna if I'm gonna get this thing, those were the two qualities I had to I had to obey, uh, participate in, endure yeah. uh, the not drinking and the not running. Yeah, and learning yeah. how to feel and not get overwhelmed by it. Right. Yeah. If you, if you do that, then you'll start to develop a new way of relating to 
all kinds of stuff in your life. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Right. So, yeah, I say when, when we change, our relationships change. And, and um, a lot of people sort of worry about this, that like I'm in unhealthy relationships. How do I know that the other person is going to change if I change? And the answer is, well, they might not. Right. But the relationship itself will change if you are different. Right. Yeah. So if I focus on what I can do to become uh, healthier in the way that I relate to the world, then all of my relationships are going to be different by at least that much, by at least half. That doesn't mean that every relationship is going to work out, that every relationship is going to heal. Um, so you might lose some relationships. You might gain, you'll definitely gain some new ones. Right. Um, but there's the process of me showing up differently in all the relationships that I've got and seeing what happens. That's a very like recovery thing, right? Is to do that. How do they change? Let's start with substances. How do they change the relationship with the substance? Right. So specifically the way that writing tries to make this, well, the, the, the relationship change that you want there is that uh, it's the center of my world. <laughs> and then you want to change that to I, an acknowledgement that I can't do this anymore. And yeah. then something called abstinence where you're not doing it anymore. Right. Right. And you need, you're going to need something to help you get through that. Um, and so you'll need a relationship again to higher power, to pull that off. But I have a relationship to my inner addict as well. Huh? Yeah, that's true. Right. The part of you that, that uses and yeah, that gets and relieved speaks, that way. And speaks to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Right. yeah. Right. And I've been in relationship with that one. And I used to sort of demonize that, that guy inside me. That's the bad guy that's trying to hurt me. Right. Um, but he, that's not, that's not a demon. That's not a bad guy. That's a guy who's actually pretty smart. He's, he's really jaded. <laughs> he's really cynical. Yeah. Uh, and really self-destructive. Right. But he does have some insight about the world. Yes. Right? And he, so, so Jung would say he has a gift. Yeah. And, and what we need to do is extract the gift mm -hmm. without killing ourselves. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the, what is it? I think it was, uh, what's his name? Uh, William James, you know, mm -hmm. that, that uh, sobriety uh, says no, no, no. And the drinking says yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know? Well, mm -hmm. you can take just so much no, no, no's and you say, screw this, right? You know, unless you're doing exactly what you're talking about. What is the gift you can access? What is it that this thing is looking for, but looking for in the wrong way? Right. In the destructive right. way. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have found, and I think a lot of us have found that the sort of desperate hunger for relief uh, is is a desperate hunger for some kind of connection yes. to higher power, right? Mm -hmm. And so that all that energy, even, even a fraction of that is sort of like moved over into this new area of uh, developing a relationship with higher power. That's, that's life-changing. That's radically life-changing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so how do we do that with writing? Um, writing has these properties that um, it's social. Right. Writing is always about relationships. Writing is like uh, we're often or always writing to somebody or for somebody or as we've seen writing from somebody. Yeah. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this is true, even if you're just sort of journaling to yourself, you still have kind of an audience of yourself, like your f- a future version of you that is going to read this or think about it or whatever. So there's a social element to writing that's about relationship kind of baked in. And then there's another aspect of writing that researchers in my field might call self-fashioning. Self-fashioning, which is sort of like making a self, right? And Mm. when we write, we do that in two ways. One is, you know, if I'm writing a letter to an email to my boss or something, then I want to present myself in a certain way that is acceptable, right? So there's a sort of persona shaping that goes on. Uh, And then there's there's another thing that goes on, which is deeper. And that's that anytime we write, we're developing projects um, and developing our inner lives in ways that are of interest or of need to ourselves. Um, some researchers, um, Anne Harrington and Marsha Curtis, wrote this book called Persons and Process. And they studied uh, the, the writing lives of four college students as they went through their entire careers at this university and um, found that um, even though the, the writing they were doing was always assigned, they were still always doing their assignments in ways that were about their own growth as people. So for example, one of the students that they studied was someone who grew up in an alcoholic home. Um, You probably would identify as an adult child of an alcoholic, although I don't know that they mentioned that program. And they were doing, you know, they were in psych classes and, and it sort of culminated in writing this thesis as a capstone project for their senior year. And they decided to do, you know, they were reading a bunch of research about alcoholic family systems and uh, found that a lot of it they couldn't relate to as a person who grew up in an alcoholic family system. And so they devised a research project that was around that, the sort of like um, as an insider, had a special insight, but developed this research and created new knowledge about how alcoholic family systems work, right? Mm -hmm. So that writing for her was not just a pure, like, let's create academic knowledge project. It was personally motivated. Uh, It was about her own growth as a person. It changed her relationships to her past, to her field, to herself as an educated person. It probably rubs up against the honesty part, too, doesn't it, Mm -hmm. in the writing? Am I going to just stay at the academic level or am I going to reveal reveal myself a little bit in this? Right. Right. Are you going to do the thing that has some personal stakes for you, right? Yeah. 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 That yeah. writing will bring that up. Yeah. 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 Right. So, and, and that's true, I think, of any kind of writing that we do. Yeah. It's like yeah, th- yeah. Throughout, our, throughout our lives, we're making these choices about the writing that we do and the projects we take on. And writing is kind of all over the place in our lives. The texts mm-hmm. and the emails and the post, social media posts. And it's kind of baked into a lot of our interactions now. So all of that has these elements of self-fashioning and developing relationships that way. So the way I see this working in step one, which is sort of like, you know, the writing that happens in step one is very much focused on um, examining or changing the relationship to the substance or behavior, the the, the addiction, right? Um, And in fact, all, I think it's fair to say that all recovery writing is is in some way supportive of changing that relationship. It's kind of the point of being recover- in recovery. Like all the growth we do is growth to not relapse, right? At some point. But the, the first step stuff is very much directed at 
I've heard it called ruining your drinking, <laughs> right? I don't know if you're mm -hmm. familiar with this phrase. Like people will come to program for a while sure. and, yeah. and then they'll relapse and they'll say, oh, AA ruined my drinking, right? It does. Uh, right, because it now you know. I know. Yeah. Now you know, right? Now we know. Right, and that's the intervention that sort of the writing practices that I've seen that develop around step one are meant to kind of achieve that, right? Sure. And this is the life stories that you write. Uh, the, the story of your addiction is meant to get you to see and then say the truth about how your relationship with alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, how that has evolved up to this point. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you come in kind of resistant about, um, well, I don't think it's really that big of a problem. If you put it all on paper, sometimes that really has a, an effect on people like, oh, well, this has been going on for a while and it's pretty, pretty bad, right? Would, uh, we discussed just a few minutes ago about yeah. there being a gift. Mm -hmm. if, if the writer is aware of that, yeah. would that be helpful in the process? In other words, I'm not just writing the negative, negative, negative yeah. about the alcohol or the drugs. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm getting at a deeper level through my mm -hmm. writing mm -hmm. of how you were my friend. Yeah. How you were there for me. Yeah. But then how you turned on me. Yeah. 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 So there's a couple a couple exercises that um, go after what you're talking about. Okay. Related to step one. There's probably more that I haven't heard of, but the ones I've heard of are... Uh, one is the goodbye letter to your addiction, mm -hmm. um, where someone will sit down and say, it's like a dear John, like, you know, we're breaking up basically. Right. Right. Uh, and that sort of describes, you know, uh, I'm sorry to tell you, we're going to break up, but, and here's all the things you meant to me. Here's the good times we had, but now here's the reasons why we have to let it go. Right. Um, I sometimes was skeptical of, of that kind of a writing project um, because I don't think that just doing that alone is going to keep anybody sober, right? <laughs> no, the, the, the drug should have an opportunity to write back to you. <laughs> <laughs> the, th the thing, though, that people are really getting out of this, I think, is that um, and I think the most powerful intervention that this kind of writing makes is uh, for a lot of people, especially that are just sort of like recovery curious or kind of on the edge of things, All Addicts Anonymous has this way of talking about it as people who want to want to stop, right? There's this kind of hesitance or like, I know I should, but sometimes it goes- Kind of the stages of change. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I'm thinking about changing. Right. But I ain't there. <laughs> so yeah, the right. goodbye letter can kind of do this self-fashioning work of um, getting you in touch with the part of you that really does want to stop, right? right? And you're writing the letter from that point of view, right? Exactly. So maybe some of that can wake up or you can you can move in with a little more um, attention along that. Another exercise, and this is one that I've done with, with groups um, and uh, have a friend on, on the East Coast who's also doing it with groups, is a sort of a, uh, like almost like a guided active imagination exercise where I say... Uh, you know, take a few minutes, uh, imagine your addiction as a person and describe them, right? Yeah. So people will be free writing this. What do they look like? How do they act? Is there other mannerisms? You know, are they clean or dirty? What are they, how they present themselves? Mm -hmm. And then uh, we shift into now describe them in a specific scene. Where are they? 
What are they doing? Um, describe in as much detail as you can what's happening. And now imagine yourself showing up in that place to talk to, to this person, this addiction. You get to ask one question. What's your question? And what do they say back? And then we sort of just let that go and see what people, and this is, this is, you know, um, pretty productive for people. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very much, it's very much, you know, two-way proactive imagination stuff, but it's directed at a specific thing, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it, yeah. It, it's the empty chair that we talked yeah. about in a previous episode. That's right. But, but using, using writing to affect mm. it. That's right. That's good. Yeah. yeah. And what comes up for people is some pretty powerful stuff. And it get, and it does seem to get at for at least for some people, uh, the piece you were talking about, which is what is what does my addiction have to say to me? Right. Right. That's not just, hey, let's get high. <laughs> right. But it, it is, if you get to ask the question and it's going to answer you, you might be surprised by the wisdom that comes out of that. Right. And therefore, the kind of like compassion you can have for your, yourself and your own addiction as a result. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and this is where, if you stay long enough, yeah. what, it, what, what is the gift that the addiction had for you? And yeah. you know, it's not, and I don't think it's just keeping you alive. Mm. I think it was a drive in some ways for excitement, for sure. meaning. Yes. For fitting in. Yep. Things of that nature. And if you can begin to extract some of those for, from it, you've right. come a long way. Yeah, right. Those are the things, those are the very things that are going to help you build new kinds of relationships and recovery. Right, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm, you know I, I, I think back, uh, I don't think there's much of a self there when we mm. start. It, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's, it really is... Um, kind of a being born again kind of i mean i there's a newness a mm. rawness mm -hmm. uh, in early stage recovery a vulnerability right that, that you just you're gonna have and um i don't know who i am right and, and i have to i i i bypassed that mm -hmm. by the drinking the drugging whatever the behavior is right right you know? so i gotta yeah. go back and do it over again Right. I'm the guy that's good at getting drunk. <laughs> you were that for a long time, right? Instead like, of growing yeah. up. Right. Right. So there's a there's an an, an immaturity, I believe, mm -hmm. that is is a given. Right. I don't care how how academically gifted you may be or accredited you might be. That's there's right. an immaturity. Right. Inside. Right. How do I get yeah. to that and get in touch with that and uh, grow that? Right. I've learned to cope with life by using drugs, alcohol, behaviors, whatever it is. Right. And so instead of instead of whatever inner resources are necessary for actually doing those things. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember when uh, I used to do a lot of interventions years ago and I'd be on the phone or somebody's talking to me about their son and they they want to do a daughter they want to do an intervention on them and uh they're going on telling me about you know they stay in their room and you know i don't give them the keys to the car and and and, if I, and and how old is is joey 
well, he's he's 38, you know, (laughs) (laughs) he's 52, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's just it's a shocker. Right. 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 That uh, we're stuck. We're stuck. And in that story, the whole system is stuck. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. People, places and things. Writing changes our relationships to people, to places and to things. You want to get into that one a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Um, So this is definitely step four territory, feels like. Okay. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, This is at least when you write a big book inventory, it's going to ask you to talk about resentments. It's going to ask you to talk about fears. It's going to ask you to talk about your sex life. Um, And those pieces, I think, show up in other kinds of uh, inventory Uh, for this process of self-examination and looking at uh, the way that I relate to other people, the way that I relate to places and things, right? The mm-hmm. stuff in my life. Um, step four is very much a hard examination of how I've been as a person in relationship to the world. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just step four, this is a lifelong project, of course. Um, we're always sort of trying to pay attention, as you say, like watch so you know what to pray for, right? Right, exactly. Uh, and that sort of begins, I think, for at least it did for me in step four. Sure. Oh, sure. So, for example, Big Book Inventory asks you to look really hard at your resentments, right? Yeah. And resentments were like my go-to way of relating to the world. <laughs> if there was a thing and it didn't go my way, then I knew what to do. I resented it, right? Uh, and for me, that looked like just hating that thing or that person and like uh, putting them on a certain list <laughs> and uh, cutting them out of my life as much as possible, right? But right. always nursing this uh narrative about how bad they are and and why they deserve bad things to happen to them right keeping keeping it alive keeping it alive keeping score and you know i've ever reminded that person then it all comes back right i'll get you yeah it's a sort of defensive mechanism or you know it's it's definitely like a a a relationship (laughs) even when they're not around right that relationship well when they die um i I, theoretically i think i'm able to check them off but Mm. Not, not really. Right. <laughs> they, they have a way of coming back, don't they? <laughs> well, they do. We, and the cliche that we have about that is they're living rent free in my head. There you go. Right? That's the yeah. that's the cliche is that this I'm relating to this person and spending all this energy on this um, animosity toward them, even if they're even if they're dead, even if they live in another state, even if I never talk to them anymore. Even if they have no idea what's going on, mm-hmm. I'm spending all this energy keeping this relationship to them going. What flashed through my mind when you yeah. when you were talking about this was uh, the bar room. Mm-hmm. That that was a place of safety for me. Right. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I got to that in my inventory, mm-hmm. um, but I certainly have later that uh, it's womb like. Okay. Yeah, my bartender was, uh, and I worked as a bartender for a while. It was it was uh, some of the best uh, techniques for learning counseling I've ever had, mm. <laughs> because people come in there with their problems, and now, right. you, well, Joe, let me, <laughs> oh, tell me more, Joe. <laughs> Good on the job training. Yeah, yeah, 
So I think that's a really concrete way where if you have a real change in recovery, you're not going to have the same idea about that place or the same way of relating to the bar room anymore, right? Right. Or whatever, again, wherever again, else it is. But again, it's really helpful to know that it, at some deep level you do. Mm. You know what mm. I mean? Mm -hmm. Because like that, what that place was providing for you. Exactly. It's still something that you need. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if I can make that connection, mm -hmm. then I'm on my way right. growing much more so. Right, right, yeah. yeah. I need to see it. It's helpful to see it. Yeah. And it's not just being angry at it. Mm -hmm. uh, if I can see that I'm, I, I was drawn to it for certain reasons. Right, right. What were those? Right, so, yeah. I think the place that came up highest on my resentment list was church right okay okay my, i mean my resentment list was god church people that believe in god and go to church and then it was family members <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. like most people it's mom dad are at the top of the list uh for me it was the religious stuff and the religious shame came out right away right, right away mm -hmm. um, top of the list and i can't even remember now what the resolution of that was the sort of fourth column like the turnaround uh insight of you know what changed my relationship to that but i do know that i, I, I think it was something along the lines of like the resentment i've had against these people and places is obviously not functioning for me right there's something there i don't need the shame i don't need the trauma i don't need the baggage but i do need some kind of connection and these things represent a tradition and a history of that kind of connection that I need. Yeah. Right. See, mine was the opposite. Huh. Uh, church was a safe place for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I would go there and I, I could feel secure. Huh. Now, uh, I mean, I had to get more mature in my relationship with church over yeah. the years, but, but intuitively, instinctively, uh at the gut level yeah. there was a positive right there was a positive so uh, it's just funny that's yeah we're all different yeah for sure no yeah. yeah and nobody's nobody's resentment list or anybody's inventory is right. going to look the same way right mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You, uh, you mentioned uh uh related to our sex lives how how, how does that and i guess we're back to inventory here but uh, i think so that's yeah, a tough I mean, one that's a tough one for a lot of people it's a tough i think it's Hard to imagine it not being a tough one for anybody. <laughs> right. Uh, it's the sex, area that brings up yeah. the guilt, the shame, the, right. uh, the intimacy or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, approach in relationships. All about it, relationships. It's, it's one of the most intimate things that we do in relationships. Yeah. It's one of the most vulnerable things we do. Right. Um, it's also a site of trauma and abuse for a lot of right. people. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we've been we've exploited others. Um, we've done all kinds of things in this area that are problematic. If you try to look at yourself and you ignore this area, it, I, it's, I think you, I, I don't know. I don't know how you get a recovery without taking a hard look at this, right? Right. And it's not gonna be fun and it does have to change. It is something that comes up in big book inventory. I think it comes up in most forms of four-step inventory. They ask you to look at your relationships, including your sexual relationships, your intimate relationships in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, the big book talks about all the ways that we've used and abused our quote unquote sex powers, right? Which means it's sort of a broad take on, um, you know, it even includes things like flirtation, even if there was no 
sort of interaction there beyond that. So it's sort of like a, a way of being toward uh, other people sexually, even a very light way that can be problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The sex, there, there were several people that I talked to uh, for the study that identified as sex addicts. Yeah. Um, and so for them, of course, it's uh, an even more urgent need to to address this relationship because it's the primary addiction. It's the thing that they need to overcome. Right. Um, one of them introduced me to a, a technique, a writing technique that I'd never heard of, which was called the three circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the three circles, I believe, comes from. The, I think it's called, uh, there's a, there's a program text from sex, sexaholics and, uh, sex addicts anonymous. Mm-hmm. And basically if you can imagine a piece of paper with three concentric circles, the middle circle is the one where you're going to write down what relapse looks like for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the second out, outer circle or the middle circle is the one that looks like, uh, kind of red flag behaviors, like, uh uh-oh, if you're doing these things, you're heading toward relapse for sure, right? Right. And then the outer ring is the recovery supportive behaviors that protect you from slipping into those other two. Mm -hmm. Um, Different sex addiction fellowships have different ways of defining sobriety. Um, This one was kind of a, a sort of personal examination of you know, your definition for what relapse looks like might be really different from what my definition of relapse looks like. Right. Okay. For one guy, that this guy was telling me one guy's definition was taking his wedding ring off. If he's done that, that's already the relapse. That's the point of no return, right? Mm-hmm. Once he's done that, he's already headed for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the things around that were, I don't know, going to bars or flirting, or I'm not sure what they were for him. But you can imagine... Um, the kinds of things that would lead you up to taking an action that that pushes you overboard. And then of course, in the outer ring, you have stuff like talk to my sponsor and prayer, or do my recovery writing and whatever else it is. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's a really powerful exercise because especially for people who have process addictions, I think as a, as a drug addict, it's, you know, I have the benefit of knowing like, if I do the drug, I relapsed. <laughs> it's black and white. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I take a drink, I've gone over the edge. It's clear. The warning like ones are different, are, are interesting. That's worth examining. But the stuff that's in the center is, is the same for everybody. If you have a process addiction, if you're a food addict, if you're a sex addict, if you're a gambling addict, if you're you know, addicted to a, a behavior, shopping mm-hmm. addict, probably your expression of that is going to look a little different than everybody else's. And so the exact details of what your relapse looks like are going to be different. And knowing what they are can be really powerful, right? Because you know, there's this clarity that comes with that. I have a clarity of like, I cannot get high. And that's the, that's the bedrock. That's the step one stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Clarifies that relationship. Um, and this is about giving that kind of clarity to that relationship to folks who have process addictions. Like sex, like sex addiction. Of course, then there's there's cross addiction too. I mean, we're, sure. we're uh, I'm moving from from I'm substituting this t- for that. Yep, you know? that's right. And that happens. That actually happens a lot. I mean, I see this all the time. Yeah, especially uh, with uh, substance abusers, we get we get clean and sober, and then we our sex lives go out of control, or we're eating like eating like crazy, right? Or we can't get our money. In, in shape, right? We're just spending all over the place. So yeah, that sort of 
next step substitution thing <laughs> pops mm -hmm. right up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that could be useful to anybody for secondary stuff that like, even if it's sort of just, maybe it's not quite an addiction, but it's looking pretty problematic, like it can be useful to examine it, right? Oftentimes in a particular 12-step fellowship, where, is the, where there is singleness of purpose, yeah. they can be very blind, you know? Well, at least you didn't drink, Charlie. You That's know? right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but whew, some of that other stuff is pretty, pretty serious. And, I, yeah. You can be eating Valium hand over fist and smoking weed, but not having taken in a drink and take right. and get your chip in AA, right? Or your sex life is, is just way the hell out of control. 100%. And 100%. work life is way out of control. Right. There's all these other areas. Right. That's why that watchfulness to me is so critical. Step 10 is watching for these right. in my life, sensing them internally, Yeah, you know, this inner world. Uh, you mentioned writing can help with accessing inner figures mm -hmm. and aspects of our psyche, speaking of the inner world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. How, how does that come about? Well, what did you find in your research? I mean, certainly like talking to you and other people who are practicing two-way prayer was a really big uh, eye-opening moment for, for this, right? Mm, okay. um, but it's also true of people who were doing prayer journaling and who were doing different kinds of dialogues. And it also shed new light on things like the goodbye letter to addiction or the want to add to a higher power. It sort of like opened up this sort of creative space uh, where through uh, acts of imagination in writing, we're then relating to things inside ourselves that yeah. we've been ignoring or we've abandoned or we didn't even know was there, right? right? And all of a sudden they're coming up and we're beginning a relationship with things that have been, we've sort of put the, the lid on, oh, largely yeah. through our addictions, right? Yes, and, and, and control and... Uh... Uh, and denial. I mean, it's, it, it has to do with our inner lives as well. I don't want to go there. I don't want to look at it. Right. But, you know, either you go and meet it or it's going to come and meet you. Right. And, and I think that ties in really well to what you were just saying about cross addictions or right. substitute swapping addictions is right. I get sober. I have to sit alone with my own thoughts for 70 seconds <laughs> and I, whoa, <laughs> don't want to do that anymore. I think I'll go to the store. I think I'll, whatever it is. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that I'll go to the fridge. I'll go to the store. I'll go to the, what, you know, whatever it is that's going to keep me distracted, allowing that stuff to come up and finding a way to relate to it is, is core recovery stuff. You have to you have to find a way to relate to this somehow, whether that's through inventory and talking to a sponsor, whether it's through active imagination, whether it's through prayer. Uh, there needs to be some way of allowing this stuff to come up, enter my world, and I have a relationship to it. We're talking about wholeness, yeah, aren't we? Uh, yeah, that's that's where the the peace, the satisfaction. Uh, if, I, if I've got parts that are still out of whack, unconnected, denied, yeah, they're gonna come back and bite right. me. Right. Right. Uh, right. 
They'll drive. We were talking. We were talking before we started recording <laughs> about getting bitten by. What do you call those little? No seams. What do you? No seams. No seams. That that's the the official name for them in Alaska. <laughs> no seams. Little no. tiny things. Oh, yeah. that, that that come out of God knows where and bite me. I got itches all up and down my arm here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And inside yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Different kind the of no Really, The really no seams. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These but... are there. These are there. Yeah. And and real recovery, full recovery, let's say, hey, is yeah. uh is is getting in touch with these uh um recognizing the truth of these not projecting these out onto someone else or something else yeah. uh, but staying long enough to let it have its 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 uh not its way with me well yeah its way because it's it's there for a reason you know uh uh, and, and it has something to teach me. Yeah. It does right. have something to teach me. Right. I sometimes struggle with the singleness of purpose of some fellowships, even while I respect it. Yes, I respect it's a mixed it. Bag. It's a mixed bag. It, yes. It's a mixed bag because right. obviously the identification is super important. Vital. Vital to have it. If you're, if you're an alcoholic and you don't dabble in anything else, uh, you, you want to go to a meeting where someone's talk, telling your story, so you can go, okay, yeah. okay, that's mm -hmm. me, right? right. Yeah. And it's very easy for folks to get confused and they hear a drug addict or they hear a you know spending addict and think, what kind of crazy stuff is that? Not like, and then they, right. out they go, right? That's I get right. that. I get yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but there's this thing that happens if once you get into recovery in any fellowship, you start sinking below the surface of the, the symptom. And now we're swimming in the same waters. Right. The, the alcoholic and the drug addict and the sex addict and, and, and the spending addict and, and, the, and the gambler. And we're all dealing with, oh, those things were the distractions from this other stuff. Right. And now I have to deal with how to live with the, this other stuff. Six and seven. Yeah. Right. Step yeah. six and seven. Mm -hmm. Getting deep. Yeah. yeah. Short, the shortest ones in the big book, two, two right. little paragraphs. Let's mm -hmm. let's get beyond these in a hurry, but that's <laughs> <laughs> but that's where it is, you right. know, and yeah. um, and that's where a fuller recovery can come if I'm willing to do that work. Yeah, you know, right. And it's also where I can learn from people whose addictions are different than mine. Yeah, I often uh, in listening to someone or. Even someone who's like uh, in ACOA, uh, adult children of alcoholics, or in Al-Anon, hearing their stories often, especially when they really are in touch with their own recovery, I, I recognize my own story in new ways because I'm dealing with different stuff now, if that makes sense. Yes. Right. Uh, right. And, and even reading about this, James, yeah. hey, yeah. Uh, we're, we're going to get to that in a minute, but, uh, but in... There's the writing of it, but there's also the reading of it from someone yeah. who has written about it. That's true. That's true. This you is know? sort of pushes us into the step 12 stuff and the fourth kind of point about how writing 
functions in recovery is that it's a way of helping other people, right? Let's jump to that. Let's yeah. jump to that. Um, sure. Because uh, this is this is your fourth your fourth, uh, uh, fourth finding. Point. Yeah. That uh, that is is extremely important. Writing changes our relationships with other addicts and specifically in helping them through our own writing. Yeah. And what do you mean by that? So what I mean by that, and I think, I think, like you said, we start to think about the kinds of reading we might do in recovery. Yeah. We start to recognize, oh, there's, there's writing on the other end of that. Right. right. So if, if you go to a meeting and they're reading, they're reading a reading, like, welcome to the meeting. Blah, blah, blah. Somebody wrote that. Right. If they're reading from the big book, somebody wrote that. If you find pamphlets or meeting lists or, um, you know, you're reading blog posts online or you're, you're on some kind of recovery site and doing social media stuff, um, that's all writing that other people, you pick up or go to the bookstore and you go to the, um, you know, section of memoirs and you pick up somebody's memoir who's a drug addict or they're in recovery or somebody wrote that to, to in the hopes that their story or their work would benefit other people, right? Or um, they did it to make money. That's true. Or they did it to brandize uh, <laughs> right, themselves. I'm trying to be generous, but you're right. I know, but, but be realistic too. That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what is the intent behind it is important. That's it's true. really important. Yeah. And that's a mixed bag, even with something like the big book, right? Well, yeah. And one of the things you um, that I thought of is is to get be people are going to get mad at me for this, Here but to get beyond the big book. Mm -hmm. That yeah, the big book is foundational. It certainly mm -hmm. is. I think for almost all of us in recovery, yeah, uh, we build on that. Yep. One of the things I really liked uh, when I was doing my, my research on two-way prayer, the quiet time yeah. thing, they said, read scripture mm -hmm. and or guided literature. Mm -hmm. Oh, the light went on for me. Right. You're giving me per not only permission, you know, oh, yeah. but encouragement to go find those people who speak to you, right. who speak to your soul, who have taken the risk of writing and and opening their own psyches up and and their closets up yeah. to us so that I can I can access what's in me and don't just stay stuck in 12 step literature right right which, which is a, I think a real danger of uh, of many many uh, fellowships that's it. We sure. just we just stay stuck in in 1939. Right. Oh, come right. on. We've learned a few things since then. Right. And you we're know? part of a much, much broader tradition of spiritual growth and development. And our our, yeah. our experiences resonate with people from all over the world and, and different traditions. Right. And that is really what happened to the Oxford group itself. I mean, it started mm -hmm. off as a, a Christian group. But uh, after a while, it was it was not. It, because it, it incorporated other faith traditions. So initiatives of change is now uh, oh, inter yes. interfaith organization. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. Right. I went to Co 
which is their headquarters in Switzerland, yeah. went twice, two summers and went over there. Uh, people from all over the world, uh, uh, Buddhists, Hindus, uh, non-believers, but, but gathered still around these change, the chain. That's why I call it initiatives of change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What are you doing to change yourself and then to change your family and to change your community and right. to change the world? Right. Um, well, that's that's a real twelve-step question. Those, the latter parts of that question are sort of um, like how to change myself is very much steps one through eleven, let's say, even. Right. And then in the work, a lot of the work of recovery, a lot of the growth, let's say, the growth of recovery, and even the joy in recovery is how am I how am I how am I working for the benefit of family and community and world, right? Yeah. Uh, and then that, that's, or is, a, that's it, or is it all about me? Right. Right. That's stuck. <laughs> that's stuckness. Yeah. And right. It's gotta be going out from you. Mm -hmm. and that's why, that's why, uh, I mean, I've, I've read a lot of books, uh, and, and sometimes people will send me books, uh, you know, a, a guy, he's, he's two years in recovery. And of course now he really needs to write the definitive, uh, answer to the big book, you know? Yeah. as channeled through him mm -hmm. like god it's it's <laughs> egotism all over the place but yeah i relate to that in all kinds of ways to speak in my own defense i i did at least wait about 30 years before i wrote anything you know <laughs> shut up you don't know diddly squat you know listen you know right. but then right. i did Get to the point where I'm reading so much garbage. I said, I said, mm. it's kind of what, what you got to, you know, you know, hey, if I'm going to be me, uh, I do have some things to say. Yeah. The best, the best advice I ever heard from a priest uh, about writing a sermon was mm. this, you know, uh, mm. Bill, ask yourself, do you have something to say or do you just have to say something? <laughs> It's good. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Because yeah. if you're going to skate along on the surface and and not and not meet people where they are, and, and you do that by having the guts to go a little deeper into your own self, you know, which is what, what right. you have done, right. uh, James. And that's, that's and most of the people that I get uh, uh, to interview here, I'm not interested in so much in the fancy academic people. Right. But the people who have taken the, the scientific and the academic and integrated it uh, with 12 step. Now, that's to me, that's exciting. Right. And that's helpful. Yeah. And, um, and to speak to motives you talked about earlier, you know, mixed motives. And I think that at least two, I'm still being generous here, but two of the. the <laughs> My the shadow things. is much more pronounced than yours, James. We, <laughs> we, we know that. <laughs> but um, there's the motive to like help other folks. And that forms the, I think, you know, that's what, that's why programs write their own literature. Um, you know, that's yeah. why the AA needs a book or multiple books in order to help alcoholics. NA needs multiple books to help addicts they do that writing to do that yeah. um and and you know if you're writing a memoir or you're writing a something about your spiritual practice or something there's that motive is in there somewhere 
Um, there's also a motive that's like, again, that goes back to the self-fashioning where I have questions, I have problems in my own recovery that I want to work out. And I find writing a really productive way to do that. As I start thinking through how to explain stuff to you, I get the benefit of having to work through all that stuff for myself. Right. right. And I, I think my spies out there in the, in the, in the, in the 12 step world, Mm -hmm. Tell me that the, the the next edition of the big book, there's, there's going to be, they're talking about making oh. some major changes. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, see exactly, isn't that exactly it? Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. very male-oriented male in the mm -hmm. language. The, sure. God, the God language is, is, is difficult for people to yep. date, yep. you know? Can they... If your audience is 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 people who are in trouble, yeah. and you want to help them change, or do you just want to continue the legacy that you've been given? I mean, I mean it's it's a it's a balance. Yeah, absolutely. It's difficult, um, but it kind of goes to the heart of things, doesn't it? Yeah. So this is actually a question that we've run into again and again. Uh, I've been working, you had uh, Matt D on the podcast a while ago. Yeah, all yeah. love Matt, love Matt. I've been working with him a bit on the literature committee of All Addicts Anonymous, trying to trying to put together the literature for AAA as it exists today. Right. Um, and I think in your podcast with him, he was pulling stuff from the archives and you're reading through it together. It's very much like the process we have where, we, you know, we need a pamphlet on something. What have we got? Um, and then how does what we have... What kinds of translations need to happen for it to be effective to people right now, right? That's right. Uh, and that's the, and the, the balance there is to make it as accessible as it can be without stripping out any of the vitality of it, right? And that's, that's, right. that's that can be kind of a razor's edge. You don't want to take the, the spiritual meat out of a thing, but you do want people to have as much access to that as they can. It's right? the same thing in the church. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you go to the church and you feel like you've walked back into the 19th century. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, and the same thing happened with the Oxford group. Uh, right. one, one, one critic called it, I love this phrase, it's like the Salvation Army with spats. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Go look up what spats is, uh, younger yeah. younger folks. Uh, keep your socks keep your socks up. I think. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's uh, yeah. Oh, but it, I mean, you got to meet people where they are, right? Without losing the spirit of what was there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is the, that is the trick. Yeah, I think you're right. It's any spiritual tradition is going to encounter this, right? That's right. Over and over and over again. It has yeah. to reinvent itself. Yeah. yeah. It has to reinvent itself and speak yeah. to the people of today. Right. You Which, know? you know, the beginning of recovery was exactly that. It was Absolutely. the re reinvention of a spiritual tradition to speak to the needs of the people of today. And that, that change, that innovation is still, it saved my life, right? And it That's saved right. your life. And Yeah. That's so. right. And, and while the Oxford group was interested in all people, Bill Wilson was interested in only a subgroup of people. Right. How can we make this stuff palatable yeah. to the alcoholics? Right. We don't want to hear a, bo a bo whole bunch of, of uh, uh, evangelical stuff. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, let's take the essence of it and communicate it in meaningful ways. Right. And, 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 and if you're getting that juice, I call it the juice, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> it, it's there or it's not there. Mm -hmm. um, but it does have to be uh, reconfigured in some ways uh, for new generations. Yeah, that's, that's right. why they change the stories in the right. big book. Right. It's like we got to keep the stories going. And if we don't have the stories, well, you don't have the book. Yeah. You know, there's a they, they came out with, uh, you know, the uh, mini version of the big book. And there was some objection to that because it doesn't have the stories in it. Right. Like 164 pages. Yeah. You can't take that without without the people. Mm -hmm. Very important. Very important. Yeah. yeah. So, I'll be interested to see what changes they make. And I'm sure there are a lot of people waiting to see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The feelings, what, what yeah, changes yeah, yeah. they're going to make. Yeah. Oh, well, that's why the churches keep splitting up. That's right. <laughs> no, we believe in the, in the prayer book of uh, 1978. In the oh, you're definitely going to have. Now we're going back to the prayer book. We only believe in the, in the 1928 prayer book. Yeah, well, we go back to the 1643 prayer book, you know, you're going like, to see it. You're going to see it. And hey, you're going to have we're third edition people here. Right. That's right. <laughs> Revelation stopped with the third edition. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so go to the thrift store, find yourself an old copy. Right. <laughs> OK, uh, we've pissed off enough people, James. We've got to move on. So <laughs> we, we, we've done God's work for today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to squeeze one more out of you uh, next hmm. time. So sure, we're going to yeah. look at some of the dangers of writing, um, yeah. uh, some warning signs uh, that you have to share with people uh, going forward, and then we'll wrap this thing up. So, uh, yeah. but it has been fun, yeah. And uh, and uh, I, I I think I think we've helped people. I hope we've helped people. Oh, I hope good. you guys have enjoyed it out there. Uh, you know, um, and you didn't even have to do any writing during this thing, but uh, James is going to put you to work next time. Oh, we should be giving homework assignments. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let, let, me, let me let you go. You, you, yep. got, you got to get to work. And, uh, and it, it's been fun. Thank you guys for listening. Hope it was helpful. And if it was helpful, uh, you know, pass some of these uh, podcasts on to other people and particularly turn, turn them on to two-way prayer. I think it's a real life changer. So thank you so much. God bless and keep coming back.